Hey, friends. Good afternoon. Hey, that's good. Man, love baptisms. These are so great. We had three of the first service, the three of the last service, and then five of the service. It was just awesome to see people's story and testimony and just next steps. And then that whole family. That was awesome. Glad we all got to be here. And those of you who are with us online got to see that. That's an awesome experience. Um, I'm going to jump right in because um, I got some, a lot of good stuff I want to cover today and get in with you. Last week, we started a series called From Heaven to Earth. And we started unpacking this idea about why did God leave heaven and come to earth? What was the reason behind it outside of the resurrection, which we're going to get to with Easter coming up real quick here? But was there another reason? And so we highlighted a conversation um, that Jesus had with his disciples and he was talking about he was going to leave and he was going to come back. And we established that Jesus was God um, in the representation of him. And he came and dwelt among us. And we talked about this last week, how it says in John, that the word became flesh and made his dwelling, like actually hung out and was amongst people and was there. And so he's having this conversation with his disciples about leaving and coming back. And they're all confused. And they just tell him, like, just show us who God is. That'll be enough for us. And... Um, and so then he talked to him and was basically saying, like, this is him. Like, I'm him. I'm the best representation of who God is. If you want to know what God would do uh, in a situation, watch what I would do, says Jesus. If you want to know what God would say about something and his response would be to something, listen to what Jesus says or listen to what I have to say, Jesus was saying to them. And we started to uncover and see that one of the reasons that God came from heaven to earth was actually to communicate and to d demonstrate with his actions what God is like. And so we started having a conversation about that, of that where we can just start looking in the wrong places and spaces of, of who God is, and we can kind of get ourselves in trouble, and that if we want to look and learn about who God is, that we need to look um, to Jesus. And, and John kind of finishes up this, this whole thought he had when he opened up this gospel. He says in verse 18, he says, No one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son, who is himself God and is the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So Jesus came to make God, the Father, what he thinks about things, what he, what he would say about things. He came to make that known to us by coming from heaven to earth. And so we started to discover that. And I gave you homework last week, and you were all so excited. You're like, yes, finally, you gave us homework. And some of you did it. Some of you didn't. It's totally cool. Um, and you still have time to do your homework. Well, this was the homework. Go read this week or listen to, I mean, technology is great, one of the accounts of the Gospels. There's four different accounts. It's kind of like all of you are in here watching this. I'm going to give a message, and each of you will have a, a different account of what happened. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're all giving you an account of the Gospel message, which is the life of Jesus. And I specifically asked you to look through the lens of this. When reading this, what do we learn about the Father, the Father God, from the Son, Jesus, about what he thinks about things, about what he would say in situations, about how we should act in situations? And my hope is that whenever, from now on, that you're reading the Gospels or the Scriptures like this, and from now on you would read it with that lens in mind. In this, what am I learning about who God is from Jesus? So what I wanted to do today is it's just too good not to pass up. We, we discussed this. You've kind of been prepared for it. I want to actually do that with you. I want to read to you one of my favorite stories. We're going to go through 38 verses. We're going to screen through this. And then we're going to pick out what do we learn about God the Father 
from the Son, Jesus. And I'm going to give you three things, maybe four things, depending on time. And we're going to kind of see how we do that together. Now, some of you are going to be going through this with me. You're going to be like, oh, there's another one. Oh, there's another one. There's probably eight to 12 at least that you could pull out and be like, that is who God is and what his character is and his heart is. But I'm going to focus you on three. So here we go. Let's hop in. I'm going to stay in John. It's in uh, John chapter 9. Start right off. Very beginning. It's the entire chapter. So it says, as he went along, this is, as he went along is Jesus and his disciples. They're traveling along. He saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So right off the bat in the story, we get bad theology and assumptions. Immediately, he gets to answer one of these questions. And I get this all the time. You've done this before. There was a thought um, in this theological construct or their religious traditions that if something was wrong with you, then that was the result of a sin that you committed or someone else even committed before you. So this, this uh, man was born with a, a malformation. He was blind at birth. He couldn't see. And so they're saying, hey, who screwed this up? Was it him or was it his parents, right? This has happened so many times. Maybe you've even done this. This happens to me all the time. Larry, did this happen because of what I did? Is what's going on in my life right now the result of something that I did, right? A sin maybe that I did or someone else did. We get, we get stuck in this. You know, some of us call it karma, right? And we start thinking back and we're like, was I that bad in college? Is this why I get? <laughs> like, we're trying to figure it out. Like, when did this go wrong, right? This happens all the time. And what we see immediately, Jesus addresses that this is bad theology. And so he responds to them. He says, neither. Nobody's at fault for this. And then he starts to unpack this really big idea for us. Neither is at fault nor him or his parents have sinned. So they're leaning in. Well, well, how else would this happen? Because that's how we see, this is the lens we see everything. Introducing this big idea with but or all, as this would say, this happens so that or so there's an opportunity for. And then he begins to introduce this idea that pain might have a purpose, right? Pain was always seen as the result of some sort of sin, whether you did it yourself or someone else did it and then it ended up coming on top of you, right? Someone else makes a mistake, you pay the result of it, et cetera, et cetera. So he starts addressing this idea that pain might have a purpose and pain and suffering isn't always the result of your specific sin or the sins of other people and that there's an opportunity for God to use that for his glory. And he continues in saying, this happens so that the works of God might be displayed in him. This is like a completely new idea. This is, they had no concept of something like this. This whole idea that God wouldn't punish with pain in people's lives, but might have a purpose or could use it as a purpose for his glory and use through someone else. We see this in other people's lives and some of you in your own lives here. And this is where we grasp the first thing about what we learn about God from the Son. What we learn about the Father from the Son, and it's this. That God sometimes chooses to display his power through our pain. Now, for some of you, that's really hopeful. For some of you, that's just like something difficult to grasp, and you've seen it. We've actually had it up here on the stage. If you didn't get to see it, you can go back and watch it. You can watch all of our stuff and catch up anytime online. But just weeks ago, we had Jay and Catherine Wolf up here. 
And they talked about how God is continually displaying his power through their pain. And how she just gets to show it off, the brokenness that's in us. And how God continually is displaying his power. And it's emotional. And it's beautiful. And it's this completely different idea that we would never get from meditation. We never got that from looking at nature. We never look at that from getting our, 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 our religious traditional views. This is a totally new idea when it came to communicate and demonstrate this is who God is. I can work through and have power in people's pain. So then he continues. This is where the story just gets good. After saying this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with saliva. Okay, can you sit here with me for a second? <laughs> to make mud with saliva is not a little bit of spit. I don't know if you've ever tried before. I mean, like just the scene that's taking place. It's not like a, and then, you know, like we made mud. I mean, like it's a, like it's a lot. And I can imagine there's a dude who's been there begging. He's a blind guy. He can't see what's going on. And everyone else is looking at Jesus like, what are you doing, bro? Like, why are you making mud right now? And next thing you get, puts it in his eyes. Like on his eyes. And all of a sudden he's like, whoa, who just did that? What is that? And everyone's like, oh my gosh, you're the worst person in the world. Who just spits on the ground and puts it on somebody's face? Oh my gosh, who are you? So like, just this scene right here. And then Jesus doesn't say anything but this. Check it out. Jesus, come on. Go, he tells him. You got mud on your face. You should go wash that off, bro. <laughs> and that's it. He rolls. I can't imagine. It's like, I got mud on my face. Worst day ever. Dude spit on me. And now I got to go to the pool to wash. So he goes to the pool and then washes off. And then all of a sudden, this is the crazy thing that happens that we can roll by, but we're going to get it a lot. He came home seeing. He didn't come back to Jesus. He came home seeing. So then this is what happens. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. But then others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself had to say, no, wait, I'm the guy. It's like, it's crazy. He had to defend himself. Like you just had like mud smash in your face. You walk away and people are like, who's this guy? And he's like, I just had to wash off my face and now I can see and then he's arguing like, oh, no, you can't. Oh, yeah. And he's like, wait a minute. It's me. How were your eyes then opened, they asked. So we responded, I, I didn't see him, but I heard that they called this guy Jesus. He made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go wash. And then I went and washed. And then I could see. That's pretty much the basis of the story. This is maybe the dumbest question that's in Scripture. Remember, he was blind. So they ask him, where is the man? What? Come on. I don't know, he said. I didn't see which way he went, Inspector Gadget. That's not really in the Bible. It's just my interpretation. But, I mean, that should be. Come on. Who does that? So... So then they brought the man to the Pharisees. 
the man who had been blind. So now they're recognizing he's not a blind man anymore. He was blind. And they bring him to the Pharisees, and this was the typical scene of the Pharisees, like the mall cops, they got to chug off and make sure everything went good. So they bring him to him, so they got to be like, okay, people would come there that were unclean, and then he'd become clean, and they would then recognize and mark them off of like, okay, you can now participate in things of the synagogue and the temple and, you know, the social aspect of all this. And so they took him there, and so they're like, <clears throat> now have to do their review to check this out the list. So they brought him to the Pharisees. The man had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. So those of you who have read scripture before have some sort of history to hear. This is like a big red flag, uh uh-oh moment, because the Sabbath was a holy day. You couldn't do things on that day. And so this suddenly became a problem. So therefore, because of this, the Pharisees also asked him, how did you receive this sight? Well, he put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. So then some of the Pharisees said to him, this man is not from God, talking about Jesus, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Well, so right away you get to see how religious traditions have decided how God is in a box. This man can't be from God because we know God always takes one day off, and he does not work on that day. So we know that what just happened to you is not from God because we know who God is, what he can do and what he can't do. This is exactly how it works. We've got them in a box. Then others were in the room like you, jumped in and asked, well, how can a sinner perform such signs? And so then all of a sudden they were divided back and forth. So then they turned back to the man, said, well, What do you have to say about him or Jesus? It was your eyes that he opened. So again, he gets to explain himself. He's a prophet? I don't know. I didn't see him. We didn't like have a conversation. He like put some mud on my face and I went away and now I can see. And they still didn't believe him. So then they called in for, they still didn't believe that he had received sight until then they called in his parents to bring him in. So then they asked him, is this your son? And they said, this is the son who was born blind. How is it that he can see? Well, we know that that's our son, the parents answered. And we know that he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. Now we wonder, like, well, why did you say that? Well, it shows us that he's of age. So he's a young man. Um, But also he's saying, hey, he can talk for himself. This next moment was extremely critical for them. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided something. This was, how they answered this next statement was so important to really their future. Their spiritual future, their social future, their emotional future, their physical future on how they answered this because the Jewish leaders had already decided that anyone acknowledged Jesus was the Messiah, they would be put out of the synagogue. Now, that was their life. So they they were like, whoa, 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 we know these things, but ask him, he's of age, because we're afraid of what's going to happen to us about what we say and how we respond right now, because everything's going to change for us. I mean, we're going to be shunned, and our life is going to be completely different. You know, we're not going to be clean. There's not the rituals we can go to. We can't ever visit the temple. There's so much that's involved in this moment. It wouldn't be good and they'd be out. 
So then for a second time, the Pharisees summoned him back, the man who had been born blind. Now they're like, really give it to him. Give glory to God and tell the truth. Basically, tell us what we want you to tell us. They said, we know this man's a sinner. I mean, they threw him a softball. Just say, oh, he's a sinner, and I don't know. Like, but instead, he, he has an opportunity right now, right? So they've already decided, again, we know everything about who God is. So he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing that I do know is this. This next verse is so important. This is such a common verse that so many of you heard. This next verse, I think, helps set up an opportunity for some of you who are in this room or some of you who know someone who's not. Some of us that think, until I understand everything, I can't believe anything about Christianity. And so you come Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and you walk up to me, and you'll be like, Larry, that was a great talk, but I still have questions, right? Uh, I, I need you to answer this one question. And I can't take one step forward in my faith until all of my questions have been answered. I have to understand it all before I can believe any of it, right? We can get stuck in that. I've got to know, the, know this. So this next statement that he says, I, think, I believe is profoundly powerful, that can help some of us say, you know what? I can take a step without knowing all the answers. I can start believing in something without being able to explain it all, which is exactly what happened to this man, which leads to this statement. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing that I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I can't explain if he was a prophet, a messiah, a magician. I don't know, but I, what I do know is I was blind and now I see. And that's exactly what happens when we take steps. He goes, man, I was just sitting there. All of a sudden I got mud on my face and I took a step. He told me to go wash and I went and I washed, not knowing if anything was going to happen, not expecting anything, just listening and following blindly, no pun intended, <laughs> blindly following, walking in with faith, washing off. And what did he receive? Sight. That's all he needed to know. Then he could walk in to the rest of this. And we see this kind of unveiling itself. So then he asked them, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I mean, they're having the same roundabout conversation. So Jesus, or excuse me, he answered them, I've told you already and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear this again? Guys, I couldn't see and I can see. I just want to walk around and look at stuff. And by the way, you look much different than I pictured you in my head. It's freaking me out. <laughs> I can, you're not that good. No. <laughs> oh, we could have fun with that one. That's great. Why do you guys keep asking me the same question over and over again? You just want to hear it again. And so it gets to this crazy part. Do you want to become his disciples? This is this whole moment where he says, oh, I get it. I've never been a part of this. You want to be his disciples too. And you're all excited because you're like, whoa, another Jesus story. And so you keep saying like, no, no, tell me again. Tell me the story again. How did he open your eyes? This is great. This is a miracle. And so you just want me to sit down. I get it now. It happened to me. And so you're like, I'll tell you my story, right? So he's like, you want to be his disciple. I understand now. That was the wrong thing to say. So they started <laughs> hurling insults at him. 
and said, you're this fellow's disciple. It's like, ugh, don't touch me with that. And said, we're disciples of Moses. Now we get back to what they know, what contracts we live in, right? These uh, traditions, because we've decided. It says, we know that God spoke to Moses. But as far as this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. So the man answered, this is remarkable. You don't even know where he comes from. Yet he opened my eyes. Whoops. Go back. That's the answer to the next thing. Yeah. We don't even know where he uh, comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. Now this, again, they're all wrong. This young man was even taught the same thing, like, oh, sinners can't do anything. You can't be like, you know, this bad person, and it's just all bad. And so he's like, hey, you're all wrong. We, we know this can't happen. So he continues, we listen he listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody's ever heard of this. Nobody's ever heard of someone opening someone's eyes of a man who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Guys, this is amazing, he's saying. Why are we like arguing, going back and forth about like why a bad person or how a bad person could do this or not do this? Or like, could we like imagine that God would do something for like an underdeserving, underwhelming person in life, right? So they replied, this is like so gross, it's so real. To this they said, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you? How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. And that meant his whole family was booted out. They got to see a miracle of God. They got to see who God was and what he cares about and what he did. And I believe the second thing that we learn here is that God extends mercy beyond theology, beyond our religious traditions. He extends mercy past that. They had it all figured out. We know who God is. This is the rules. You got to stay in rules. And, and God said through Jesus, no, 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 no. I care about people. And that mercy should actually inform your theology. Mercy should inform your theology. And when your theology, when my theology becomes an obstacle to mercy and to grace, friends, we need to change our theology. That's real. And to poke just a little bit deep, deep, deeper, there is something with your wrong, there's something wrong with my view or your view of God when you think that someone is outside of the bounds of God's mercy and grace. And if that's the case, we are believing wrong. And Christians are guilty of this and at times the most guilty of this. And we see it right here in the scriptures. If your belief allows you to mistreat, you are guilty of misbelieving as well as misbehaving. He extends his mercy beyond. And we get stuck because we feel like, no, someone's got to tell you. And God told me I need to tell you this. I mean, you know how many times I've had somebody come up to me and be like, God gave me a word to tell you and you know what's coming, right? <laughs> it's true. I always, I always like to pause and be like, well, tell me the last time he told you something, and then go ahead, and I'll be ready to receive it, right? 
Where are you at? We always just want to be like, oh, I've got to tell you and this and don't look at this. And this is why church is messy and a lot of people don't want to come into it because they're like, it's just a bunch of hypocrites that just want to point at everything else and be like, we know, we understand. And where's grace and mercy? That's what we should be known for. Can you imagine that spilt over? And we struggle with that because one of the clearest commandments that Jesus actually gave us was pray for your enemies, right? We can't really argue with that statement. <laughs> we don't want to. And I know we don't want to because half the time we struggle praying for people in our own family because <laughs> they're our enemies. <laughs> it's messy, right? But we need to understand that if our belief allows us to mistreat someone and let that sit on you for a second, what does mistreating look like? Then we're guilty of misbelieving and misbehaving. It's the other way around. And I think Jesus shows us that about who God the Father is. The last thing, real quickly, that we learn, number three, is that God takes personal interest in individual people. You have this conversation all the time. Does God even know who I am? Does he even know my name? Does he even know what's going on? The thing that you'll see if you did your homework and you can catch up and do your homework, start noticing this, that he healed people one at a time. One person at a time. Individually, because he had interest in that person individually. If you look all through all Mark and you just highlighted or underlighted crowds, Anytime Jesus was surrounded by crowds, it was often, it was all the time. Crowds would come around. And these were crowds not of people who are like fan club, like high five and like just wanted to say what's up, super good. We're just going to worship super great. Like life's awesome. It was always like, I'm in need. I have no hope. I'm hurting. Can we just touch you? Can we just see you? Can I be close to you? I mean, it was a hospital scene constantly. We've seen it on mission trips. I mean, we do like a medical outreach. And the crowd that comes is the icky one but it's the one who needs it so much, right? And he could have just hit the whole crowd at once, just healed the whole group, but instead it was one at a time. And it's so emotional when you think about it. So remember, this whole fight's going on. Jesus isn't even around. He went and then rolled. <clears throat> It's a gangster move. It's an OG. <laughs> he left the scene. Now they've been quarreling amongst themselves and end up hurting each other because they think they understand who God is. And then I think we see this last point, how he takes his personal interest in us individually. It said that when Jesus heard they had thrown him out, he went and found him. Whew. You have been found. And he takes a personal interest in you. He went and sought him out. When you are thrown out, when you think it's all done, you will be found by him. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Well, who, who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. I mean, I don't know. I, I have never seen you. Who is this? Your, your voice sounds familiar. So he said to him, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. That response. The three big things that we learn from this story about God the Father, from Jesus the Son, is this. 
First, God sometimes chooses to display his power in our pain. Second, God extends mercy beyond our theology. And third, God takes personal interest in individual people. There is way more, right? But I want to connect this to something that we say often here, because I believe this is who God the Father is, and we learn from Jesus. So sometimes God chooses to display his power through our pain, which reminds us that there is nothing so dead in our lives that God cannot resurrect it again, making it new. That God extends mercy beyond theology, that there's nothing so broken in our lives that God cannot do his mending work in. No matter what identity people have or shut you out or said you don't belong here or that can't happen and we know these things, you're broken, it's not okay, you're a mess, you're a sinner. God said there's nothing so broken that he cannot do his mending work in it because of his mercy and grace. And God takes a personal interest in individuals There is nothing so lost that he cannot find. And you will be found by him. The fourth one that I really wanted to share with you today, I'm gonna, I'm teasing it, it's a real deal. I'm gonna have to share it on the podcast this week. There's just a little bit more of the story, but you can ask yourself this own question, do your own study to grab another thing out of here. When was the last time God, the Father, the Creator, stuck his hand in the dirt? And what did he do? He made something, the creator. And we see him sticking his hand in the dirt again. Why? We're going to unpack that in the podcast. I think it's going to be so awesome. All right, sorry. (laughs) I'm like, my mind's blown. Whoa! Would you stand with me? So this is just a really simple example. I mean, if anything, I just read Bible to you and that was good enough. Some of you have never heard this story. Just read 38 verses in a row to you, and this is just where you can kind of be like, okay, what do we learn about God the Father through Jesus the Son, and just unpack that a little bit, and let it kind of steer us on how we live and we love, and what we say, and what we do. If you came in here today, and that is, is you, you find yourself dead, lost, or broken, it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to know all the answers, you just need to take a step. And for some of you, today is going to be that step in a journey. We have a, a gift for you. It's, it's a journal. It's called This Changes Everything because it changes everything. It's a 21-day next step. Each day is just another step. Check it out. Explore it. We have that in the lobby for you. Maybe um, you're here today and you're like, I'm not sure. I mean, like some of you are like, hey, I'm ready to go wash in the pool. Let's do this. Like, give me the book. What else I got to do? I'm ready to hop in that thing too. Right on. <laughs> right? Um, and then some of you are like, I mean, I'll, I'll take a step. 21 days, let's do it. It's our gift to you. We'd love to go on that journey with you, follow up with you. If you need prayer, there's people in the front of the room that would love to pray with you. Um, If you're new with us, check us out. Give us a couple weeks. I'm really excited to unpack next week and learn more about God coming from heaven to earth. Um, And uh, yeah, give us a couple weeks, get your gift, and then thank you for your generosity. You can put your connection cards, your prayer requests, all that stuff. You can do that through the app. You can do that in the boxes in the back of the room. And I would love to send you off with a blessing. This is really just a, a posture of giving up and receiving. May you be blessed this week. In the midst of not understanding everything, may you just believe the one thing and, and return worship and experience just a beautiful moment with God the Father through Jesus the Son. Love you guys. I'll see you next week. Thanks. Thanks.